I remember my father well. He's still alive. And he is my hero. He was and he is my hero. Probably the hardest working man I've ever met. Uh, he taught me that. And what I learned from it is I can sit beside hard work all day and it doesn't bother me a bit. Some of you will get that in a little bit. I'll never be the hard worker he is. Uh, but I do try to be faithful and, and he did teach me how to hard work and to work hard. He took me to church, put me in place where I could uh, be taught. Um, he taught me godly things, but he also put me in the place to be able to be taught. We went to church. We didn't miss. That was a fact. He taught me to respect others, which is very important later in life. Get into the world uh, to be able to respect others. There's many who don't know how to do that. He taught me to respect authority. He really taught me to be a man. That's what he did. We didn't sit down and have those long, drawn out discussions, but every day he taught me how to be a man. He taught me to be a father. I became a father, and as my family began to grow, I suddenly realized that I had become my father. The things that he did, I did. The things he taught me, I taught. The things, and it was amazing to me to, at some point in time, realize that uh, in some form or fashion, I've become my father. Now, he's got a full head of hair, so we're nothing alike like that, but uh, um, he couldn't teach me that. My father was my protector. He didn't run around the country making everything easy for me. He never did that. He let me face my issues. But I'll never forget, I was 10 years old and right around there. I would have been about 10 years old. And as what happened in the neighborhood, uh, we were gathered in the yard across the street. We went from one home to another, one house, and that, whoever had the basketball court, we played there. We've had the best field for best uh, yard for baseball. We played there and football, and then it was bicycles, and that's, that was our life, small town USA. And we ended up in the yard across the street from my home. I was 10 years old, and somebody produced two pairs of boxing gloves. I'd never had a pair on. I didn't know anything about boxing. I enjoy watching it. Today, I still don't know anything about it. Somehow or another, I ended up with a pair of those on. And the guy a block over, I'm 10 years old, and he's in his early teens. He's 13, 14 years old. He's standing across from me with boxing gloves. I have no idea what to do. I'm supposed to hit him and not get hit. And I have no idea how to do that. And the next thing I know, I took a punch to the gut. And I find myself lying flat of my back with the wind knocked out of me. I can't breathe. And he must have thought that he had killed me. And he decided that I needed chest compressions. And I'm fighting for breath, and now this teenager is on top of me trying to help me. I don't know what he was trying to do. 
It's funny, but it was not funny if you're the guy lying there. I'm telling you right now. And as I lie there struggling, I can't do, I've got boxing gloves on. I can't push him. I can't do anything. And all of a sudden, he just disappeared. He was gone. I didn't see what, I don't, I didn't know what happened. And I struggled to get my breath finally. And I rolled up to get up. And him and my dad are yards away and they're getting up. You see, my dad had his eyes on me. He was watching the situation develop across the street. And when he seen what happened, he took off at a dead run, jumped a ditch, ran across the street, jumped another ditch, ran across the yard, and knocked this kid off of me to give his son relief. Do you know that your Heavenly Father, if you're a Christian today, He's got His eyes on you. And I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. If you were to go to 1 Peter, it was written in about 66 AD. Jesus has been dead about 30 years or a little over. Peter had spent three and a half years with Jesus, and now Jesus has been gone. And Peter's about to die. He's in a Roman uh, prison. It's going to happen. It did happen. He was crucified. And as he sat in this prison, he wrote a letter to the Christians. And if you were to read the first two chapters and the first eight verses of the third chapter, you could probably live a pretty good life just off of those chapters. And then Peter does something. He says, finally. And he puts together about 12 or 14 verses that just compacts the Christian life. And if you were to follow those 14 verses, you'd live a pretty good life. And I want to take a look at those this morning. If you would stand with me, I'll turn to 1 Peter, the third chapter, the eighth verse, 8 through 22. Man, I sweated and now I'm dry. Start reading. He starts out finally. So he's told you everything and now he wants to just kind of put it all together. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to you this is called that you may obtain a blessing. Who, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. 
Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart, hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that you are so that when you are slandered, those who revile your, your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for the sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house. God, we pray that you would take these people. God, that you would open their minds, hearts, souls, and ears to hear. God, we pray that you would take this stammering tongue. God, this feeble mind. And Lord, that you would, uh, you would take what you've given and Lord, you would break the bread this morning. God, you would multiply. Lord, they'd hear what you would have them to hear. Nothing more, nothing less. We'll give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. That tells me if you're a Christian today, God hears. God hears the righteous, his children. If you're not saved this morning, you can be before you leave. Today's your day. But he doesn't hear a prayer from the unrighteous, the evil, other than a prayer of repentance. And he seeks that. And today that opportunity will have been given to you. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. I want to look at about... Uh, five or six verses here, and what we'll see is each verse I read, you can actually put for the eyes of the Lord are upon you or on the righteous at the end of it. And verse 13 says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. If we're zealous for him, there's nothing that can hurt us. Now we can physically be hurt, but we can't be taken out from God. He goes on to say, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. In other words, we can be zealous. We may get physically or mentally uh, persecuted, but the fact is that God has said his eyes are upon us. He's watching us. He knows what's going on. In fact, he was there before you got there. He's aware of it. He also says, but in your hearts, honor Christ, 
the Lord that died for you, by the way, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, don't run out and start beating somebody over the head. I was shared in the first service. Uh, one or two may recognize this name. I think most of us won't recognize the name Charlie Wireman. He was a wild man in the, uh, I'm, I'm probably late 1800s, and I believe it was Tennessee. And Charlie Wireman uh, got saved, became a preacher. And he was headed down the street one day, and he had been a fighter. He had been all those things. And he met a guy and began to talk to him about the Lord. And the guy became confrontational, and Charlie Wireman knocked him down sat on his chest and read to him out of the Bible until he got saved. That's not what this is talking about, okay? It's gentleness. Maybe he knocked him down as gently as possible. I'm not sure, but I think that was not the case. Uh, work that time, not recommended. Gentle. You know, we can go out and with harsh words go after people. And certainly that's not what God's word says to do. It says with gentleness and respect. To be respectful of people. You know, most people couldn't care less what you know till they know you care. And that's cliche and we like to say it, but it's fact. It's an absolute fact. God's also talking here about having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I have experienced this and you will too. You'll be slandered. But if you stand in God's will, if you stand for what God has put in your heart, you stand in righteousness, ultimately in the end, the truth will come out. It doesn't mean you won't be hurt. It doesn't mean others won't be hurt. It won't mean that at some point in time it looks like evil is winning. What it means is in the end, God works all things out. Remember, he was there ahead of you. He knew this was coming, whatever it is. Verse 17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than to do evil. Uh, if Certainly, if you're going to suffer, don't suffer for the evil that you've done. Boy, there's nothing that'll put... We've seen that time and time again uh, in the news. Uh, the big preacher or whoever has fallen and has done evil, and now he's been called out for it. It's saying, don't do that. Um, Chris actually talked about that in the song, to stand up to and to do the right thing and, uh, and to suffer. If you're going to suffer, suffer for righteousness. Why? For Christ suffered once for our sins. The righteous, our Christ, suffered for the unrighteous once and for all that he might bring us to God. He bridged that gap. If you're here this morning unsaved, you don't have to leave that way because Jesus died for you. Down in the 21st verse there and into the 22nd, it says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone to heaven, is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. The fact is that Jesus, when he did die for us, he didn't just die. But he went into hell 
and defeated death, hell, and the grave. And he holds the keys to those. But he wasn't done. He was just getting started because he took his place at the right hand of the Father. He stands now at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and I. His eyes are on the righteous. Jesus is there for us. Not only is God in his mercy, his grace, but also uh, Jesus there with him. And he's been there and will be there for eternity. And uh, I'm excited about making it to heaven and seeing that. He gave everything for us. And he's asked us and explained some things. As I was studying this and, uh, and working through, one of the things I love about uh, the Bible is how, how it fits together. And what I discovered was that Peter, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes this. And yet in writing it, he's quoting the Old Testament. You see, you can't get rid of the Old Testament and just read the New. It all fits together and it all works. It is God's Word. And so uh, there's multiple pieces through this, but one of the main pieces that fits back into the Old Testament is Obviously, Peter had been to synagogue, and he had heard the Scripture being read and had access to and possibly reading it himself. But he quotes Psalms 34. We sang that song earlier, and he quoted that uh, psalm. In verse 12, he said, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And if you were to turn with me to Psalm 34 and the 15th verse and 16th verse says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are toward their cry. In other words, he hears. He sees us. He's looking at us. He's watching us. It reminds me of a little two-year-old that, uh, that has uh, just learned to turn a flip. Or attempted to turn to turn a flip. They might not even be getting it done. But they want dad or mom or grandma and grandpa to see it. And guess what? We want to see it. And it doesn't matter if they do it 50 times in a row. We'll clap for them. We'll laugh. You know, most of us as Christians may not ever get past the two-year-old toddler stage. But when we do something, we should know that his eyes are upon us. He's watching us. And that's what it says here in the 15th and 16th verse. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. This is a psalm written by David. And David, most often when he wrote a psalm, it had a reason. And this one had a reason. He's actually referring back to, in this psalm, to a time in 1 Samuel in the 21st verse, uh, verses 10 through 15. And I want to read those to you. David's in trouble. David rose and fled that day from Saul, and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, talking to their king, is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? 
Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart. He heard them. And was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended to be insane in their hands, and made marks on the door of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Why was David acting this way? David was in the worst time of his life. Maybe that's not true. He was in a really bad spot here. His life was on the line. And he couldn't seem to go anywhere that it wasn't. For Saul had chased him out of his uh, kingdom. He had chased him out of uh, where his uh, throne was. He, had, he was so mad and angry that when his son Jonathan tried to help and stand up for uh, David, he threw a spear at his son. And Jonathan went out and shot the arrows and said, David, run. And David did. David ran to the town of Nob. Now Nob's claim to fame was they had the sword of Goliath. After David had killed Goliath and used his own sword to cut his head off, that sword had ended up at Nob. And it was stored there. And David, on the run, had no provisions, had nothing with him, went in and asked uh, Ahimelech, the priest, uh, for some bread, which he got, and then for a sword or a spear. And he said, all I have is the sword of Goliath. Which even David in a grown state, the sword probably was too big for him uh, as the sword's been described. But now he's got this oversized sword on his side and he has to continue to run from Saul. And where does he run? But in my mind, the worst place in the world to run. Why would you run to Goliath's hometown? You killed the hometown hero, and you come sashaying in with his sword on your side, and you think that nobody's going to recognize you? You see, when you're in the worst times, sometimes we lean on our own understandings, and sometimes we run and do things that later don't really make sense. And yet God so loved David, his hand was on him, that he protected him. And David in a moment of, maybe it was a moment of insanity to run there, acted it out and acted insane and they kicked him out of the city and he got away. By all rights, David should have been dead. It would have made complete sense that they would have killed. I mean, David had become such a hero. You think about it, it says, Saul struck down his thousands and David is 10,000. That was a song that they sang. He had a number one hit. They probably, put his, they probably put him on Time Magazine, front page, holding the sword. And now it had been stored as a relic. And yet when he come and needed, it just turned into a tool and then disappeared. I think there's a lesson in that sword as well. I think that at times God takes the things that become so important to us the things that we hold on to, maybe it's money, maybe it's a possession, maybe it's something, 
and they need to go. That sword disappeared. I'll guarantee you it was a great source of pride to be able to pull that sword out every now and then and look at it. Describe the great history. And yet before David actually even became king, that sword disappears. He ends up running for his life. David would have carried great guilt away from this situation because Saul followed him into Nob and proceeded to kill 85 priests because one helped. He killed the men of God, 85 of them. Why? Because he was after David. And yet imagine the guilt that David would have felt. Would have been a horrible time. David was in a, he left there once he finally got out of that and hid in a cave. Man, you're at the end of the rope. You're hiding out in a cave. You're not capable of doing anything. God's anointed you as king. Being king's forgotten. But the eyes of God were on the righteous. You know, David made all kinds of mistakes. And it can be argued whether it's a mistake or not. But it would appear to be to run to Gath. And yet God had his eyes on him, had his hands on him. David, this is one of the reasons I believe, or maybe the main reason, that God called him his friend. Anytime David was ever confronted with the fact that he had made a mistake, and boy, he made some big ones. He admitted it. He, he fell upon God's mercy and his grace, and certainly it was given. I, we could go up and down the pews, and I don't think there's many murderers that have physically done it in our... There's not many that have done some of the things that David did. And yet God had his eyes on him. God was watching him. And he blessed him and did great things with him because David would humble himself and be respectful, certainly, of God. But this situation cost 85 priests and no telling how many others their lives. And the Philistines missed a great chance to kill their worst enemy. But God had his eyes on him. I want to go back because now, now I want you to hear the 34th Psalm. Because David, sometime later, after this 34th Psalm, or after this situation that he had lived through, wrote this Psalm about that time. 22 verses. Psalm 34 says, David says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord Boy, did he. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Can you imagine the prayer that was going through his mind when they said, hey, this is the dude that killed Goliath. I'm, I'm, he was doing some praying. He was afraid. It says so. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him 
out of all his troubles. Not some of them, but all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. That, that phrase brings to mind, uh, was it Elijah, Eli, Elisha? Elijah that uh, said, Lord, open the servant's eyes, let him see the armies around. The Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you, his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. They lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Here we go. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Not some, all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Imagine the praise that David had remembering that situation and writing this song.